Good evening, you fantastic and glorious degenerates of this floating rock that we call Earth. Welcome to Off the Wire. I am your host, Noel Olin, aka the Cajun Libertarian, and we have a banging show for you tonight, all focused on one subject World War III. So get in the comments, let me know what you think as we comb through the con content, because I really am interested in how close that you think we are. And if there's anything that we can do as individuals to kind of help curve the certain situation that we're going through right now, um, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of this tonight is not good and kind of terrifying. And so um, let's talk about it because it's going to be, you know, obviously fun because it's interesting, but it's also very alarming, to be honest with you. And uh, I, th I think you're going to find out the same thing as we start to go through the comments, or I'm sorry, as we start to go through the content and we comb through your comments. So as we get started, be sure to like the show, share it, subscribe to my YouTube channel and um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that, etc. Please do all of those things. This show is really taking off like an in, in unbelievable manner of which i've never could have expected so um so yeah let's get going um yeah next on the cajun libertarian off the wire Yes, indeed. Please like, share, and subscribe as I already alluded to. We are going to have an excellent show for you tonight. It's not really great news, but it is very newsworthy. And we're going to break this down in a manner in which that it could be explained and portrayed uh, where you can decipher for yourself. Because that's really all I do here. Uh, most of you that watch this show for a long time now, not a long time, I haven't even eclipsed two years yet, but most of you understand that I'm just going to give you the information and you can do with that information what you will because that's just what we do here. And um, I'm not. I'm just not going to sugarcoat it. It's not good. It's not. I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm not trying to sell this stuff for clicks and views. It just is what it is. And so um, before we get into it, let's hear a word from our good friend, Spike Cohen. The game plan of You Are the Power is pretty simple. We find people who are being harmed or abused or neglected or mistreated by their local governments. And uh, yeah, this is my life's work. Uh, we want to help people. This is something that has already began to affect real change. This isn't some distant, futuristic, 
utopic or utopian <laughs> dream. It's already happening. It's making yeah. its courts. It's making waves right now as we speak. If you want to learn how to become an effective activist and then to do actual activism and actually help people right. now, not wait for, like you said, some distant utopian future where libertarians take over the world and leave everyone alone. If you want to do that now, that's what we're doing. This next year is going to be the year that people see what liberty actually looks like. Not what it sounds like, not what our philosophy is, but what it act, the actual results and ideas, the solutions behind what we do. So that's what I'm doing with You Are The Power. I would love for you to be a part of it. Youarethepower.net. We'd love for you to become a member. And uh, yeah, this is my life's work. Indeed, please go subscribe to youarethepower.net and get a daily subscription and update every single time they have new information. It's youarethepower.net. Absolutely amazing. Now, let's hear a word from our newest sponsor, Incredible, the Lunatic Libertarian. Thank you very much for sponsoring the show. You can follow them at the Lunatic Libertarian on Facebook, Anchor, Spotify, YouTube. Let's hear what he has to say. Welcome all. This is Justin Lomnes, the Lunatic Libertarian podcast, the place to engage lunatic ideas about freedom, building skill sets, encouraging individual tangible knowledge, self-sufficiency, and engaging all of humanity, regardless of political affiliation, sex, race, color, creed, pronoun, preference, social economic background, or any label, title, or category you choose to affiliate yourself with we appreciate all the knowledge for the better of all mankind and we thank you for listening to the lunatic libertarian outstanding thank you justin for sponsoring the show please go check him out all of the links are right there at the lunatic libertarian on anchor spotify and youtube now that we have gotten that stuff out of the way except for the picture in front of my face let's get going so last week or i guess not last week sunday i reported to you that a nuclear submarine of russia had deployed right off the u.s coast and it sparked alarm now remember this entire show tonight is war war three themed okay take that as you may this is what we're covering right now all right I did not know I would be doing an entire show on this tonight when I reported to you that a Russian nuclear sub was spotted off the coast of America. I had no idea, none whatsoever. And here we are. Because things seem to be escalating by the moment. With that being said, let's talk about this first story because I think this is wildly important. It scares the piss out of me because to be quite honest with you, I have no idea how somebody uh, like Vladimir Putin is going to react to this type of scenario because it is unprecedented. And we're going to prove to you that it's unprecedented. A lot of these articles that we're going to cover right now, they're short, but they're wildly important. So we're going to comb through several of them and then see where we land. All right, first one up. Russians warned of nuclear attack after hackers break into countries' TV services. That does not seem terrible to some of us, right? Libertarian lady, you are the power. That's right. 
the libertarian lady. You are the power.net. That's correct. Indeed. Making waves in local communities with you are the power.net. Russians warned of nuclear attack after hackers break into the country's TV service from Fox News March 12th. Why is that important? Well, I already alluded to much to as such, because who in the hell knows how Vladimir Putin's going to react to this? And it's a massive cyber attack. Get in the comments and let me know how you feel. Hacked Russian TV and radio stations broadcast startling message of a nuclear attack and urge residents to put on gas masks and run for cover. Remember, this is a hack. This isn't legitimate, but they hacked damn near the entire freaking country media. It, 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 this is frighteningly terrible because also let me, let me illustrate the fact that if that could happen to them, it can and will happen to us. What's most alarming is what can they hack into within America? And it doesn't matter what country that is, right? doesn't matter if it's Russia, Iran, China, India, None of that matters. The fact of the matter is, is that our electrical infrastructure is completely vulnerable, completely vulnerable, and can be hacked into in a major way, much like this just happened. So we need to always keep that in mind because this is terrifying. On Thursday, residents in eastern Russia were told to, quote unquote, take potassium iodide pills and take shelter immediately during the hacked broadcast, according to a report from Metro. Quote, there was a strike. Urgently go to a shelter. End quote. Viewers of TV were told as a map of Russia displayed the country turning red from west to east. Quote, seal the premises. Use gas masks of all types. In the absence of gas masks, use cotton gauze bandages, end quote. Screens also displayed, displayed a black and yellow radiation warning with a message urging people to, quote, immediately shelter. The messages were seen on TV and heard on radio stations in the Moscow and other regions. The messages also interrupted programming in that city that I'm not going to try to pronounce, Russia's fourth largest city. The hack was widespread enough that it forced the Russian emergency ministry to respond, releasing a statement assuring residents that a, quote, false air raid alert was broadcast in Moscow after servers of radio stations and TV channels were hacked. My God, look, the entire Russian government had to respond to this. That's how massive the cyber attack was. And again, I cannot explain to you for me per I can't speak for anybody else I'm talking about for me personally this is terrifying because who knows how an evil super villain dictator like Vladimir Putin is going to respond to something like this regardless of who is going to who did the attack right what what does that matter really in essence because the west is all wrapped up in this so even if it wasn't us, even if it wasn't UK, Germany, Poland, there's going to be a response to this. It was a countrywide cyber attack that displayed on national television and radio in Russia 
and caused widespread panic, so much so that the Ministry of Emergency had to respond and tell people to calm down. Hackers have frequently targeted Russians with messages of fake attacks since the country launched its invasion of neighboring Ukraine. Yeah, obviously, right? This has been going on, but nothing, nothing on this scale whatsoever. Not even close. It included a siren on February 22nd broadcasting an air raid alert and another broadcasting a missile threat less than a week later. The day before the latest hack, streaming services in Russia were hacked and taken offline during President uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin's address on the State of the Union. A group named IT Army of Ukraine, which formerly uh, formed shortly after the invasion, claimed credit for the original attack on their streaming services, but it has not claimed credit for the more recent dire warning on Russian TV and radio. Look, man, I'm telling you, don't take this crap lightly. I'm telling you, this is not to be played with. This guy is completely dead set on what he's going to do, and it ain't good. It ain't good. And so this is only going to continue to escalate the tensions in that region. And as I prefaced this entire segment with, uh, yeah, there was a Russian nuclear sub, which has been happening, spotted off the coast of America, and continues to escalate. We're staring down the barrel of something extremely dangerous. And I'm sick of our freaking government escalating this. I'm sick of NATO. They should be abolished. We are the ones escalating this war. And who the hell knows who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? Nobody has a clue. Who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline? It obviously wasn't Russia. Don't be ridiculous. Obviously, everybody watching this show understands that. And if you really, really know, like Josh says, oh, we know. Yeah, of course. Who in the hell? If you go look at the standards and the metrics required to make such an experience happen, as blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline, a deep dive with underwater demolition. There ain't but a handful of countries on the planet that can do that, y'all. And why would Russia blow up their own mo main monetary source? That doesn't make sense whatsoever. I'm not saying it was us. But probably. Probably. I mean, this is this is the, the this is the very I, I can't even say the groundwork for World War Three because that's already been laid. This is literally we're in the second and third stages at this point. We're we're in late stages. We're we're now stepping beyond a proxy war with Russia, and we're moving into a direct hot war with Russia. And you can make all the effing excuses that you want about. Supplying Ukraine and but man, look, wake up, get your head out of the sand, don't be a cultist. Ukraine has the right to defend their borders. They do not have a right, and we do not have a responsibility 
to supply them with the uh, money to do so. And who knows where that money's going? It's completely unaccountable. Nobody's keeping a track record of how that money's being spent. We have no idea how that money's going, where that money's going. Far be it for me to assume that the weaponry is going to do the same thing, to do the things that we are supposed to be doing with them, or they are supposed to be doing with them. Now, let's take a deep dive, a short deep dive, but one nonetheless, into what the world's largest nuclear arsenal holder has. That would be Russia. Russia has more nukes than we do. What have they been doing? I'm going to give you a couple of headlines here, and then we're going to walk this out chronologically because that's so effing important right now. It is frightening. First headline, Russia is building fallout shelters to prepare for a potential nuclear strike. Second, Russians are building bomb shelters amid fears about nuclear war. Third, amid Ukraine war, Kremlin orders nationwide bomb shelter overhaul. These dates are going to be extremely important. And like I said, those are in chronological order. Now, joining me online to talk about this is Rob McNeil. Now, Rob has almost 400,000 followers on Twitter and is a former local radio host and also helped me pick out some of these articles for this show tonight because that's how important this is. What's going on? Hey, man, Rob. Thank you for joining me on the on the show, man. How are you? Well, good. I appreciate you having me on. It's about time we get together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been messing around on Twitter for quite a while, dude. Okay, so you uh, you sent me this today when I when I was talking to you about what we're going through in the uh, in the process of tonight's show, being we are on the brink of World War Three. What are your thoughts? How close are we? Is there anything we can do? Well, I just bought another Geiger counter a couple weeks ago, if that gives you an indication. <laughs> oh, God. That, that's a bad indication, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I kind of like I'm a, I'm a black pill doomer that's very optimistic, if that makes any sense, and it probably shouldn't. But I think oh, I, get it. I, I think you plan for multiple scenarios at all times. But I'm kind of like a weird preparedness kind of guy. So I like to prepare mentally, financially, emotionally the best I can for dis, you know, disruptive, abruptive change. Because right. I think ultimately change is the, the most human thing that's going to happen. We can guarantee that change will always happen. It's also the thing that humans hate the most. So it's really kind of humans are weird. Mm. Um, but you know, I'm probably a lot older than you, but I grew up during the Cold War. And I, I literally remember growing up living in fear of Russians going to blow me up any day, right? That's kind of the stuff we were taught right. when I was a kid. That whole duck and cover thing was a thing. And and so to me, it's like I'm like kind of like a hey, first time here. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what when I grew up, like everything, if we played army, it's like you were the Russians were the bad guys, right? That was kind of the, you know, the, I remember seeing the original Red Dawn in the movie theaters when it came out. I'm, I'm older right. than I look. Um, so the way I look at it is we've probably never been as close to at least the rhetoric of 
a strike or a, a war with an able-bodied country in my entire lifetime. So I grew up, you know, I was born during the Vietnam War. I'm pretty old now. But um, if you think about it, since World War II, the United States has never really fought uh, a significant adversary, right? If you look at who we fought, it's always been third world developing nations, Middle East, Africa, you know, Southeast Asia, things like that. We've not really fought a war with a comparable army in that period of time. Uh, And so my concern is... A couple things that I'm really concerned about is that during the, at least prior to the Cold War, during the Cold War, we were a manufacturing base. Um, and I think we are much more resilient people, but in the last 35, 40 years, we've completely eliminated most mining in the United States. Yep. We've, eliminated, we've eliminated most of our manufacturing base um, and we've de-industrialized. We outsourced originally to Mexico and then to China, everything. Everything. And so everything it's like, and we don't even have, and, and I posted a tweet today and I said, we don't have the machines to make the machines in the United States anymore. We don't have the people to operate the machines or the people to train the people to operate the machines anymore. And we don't have the raw materials to proper processed into the machines to make machines, to make things. And so I am more concerned now with the fact that we are completely dependent on offshore supply chains. Um, we as a country are, it seems like we're kind of emotionally impaired in a lot of ways, but yeah, I think we right. don't have, we don't have the resiliency. We do not have the capability in my opinion to fight a long-term pro, a prolonged, you know, war with a comparable adversary right now. And more so, right. not even with Russia, but with China. If we have any war with China and our supply chain gets done, you know, cut off overnight, um, we're done. Our economy is completely toast, and and I think people will starve to death. And and I don't mean that flippantly. I, I mean it. Right. If you look at the COVID slowdowns in the supply chain from China, you couldn't get anything. I mean, even now there's, and we've we've gotten used to it. But go walk through any grocery store, or any Walmart. And look on the shelves today, and you still see empty shelves everywhere. Now, when I was going to business school, you know, we were told that certain box store shelves were the most expensive shelf space in the country, and they're never, ever empty because it's so expensive to not have a product there to the point where people would, like, bid to have shelf space in, like, a Walmart or a Target or what have you. And we've had nonstop empty shelves in Walmarts. I call it the Walmart index um, in, in where I live in Utah since COVID started. And we still have it. You go to certain Walmarts, there's still like whole sections that are just empty or they only have one thing to front. And so to me, the supply chain is still borked from COVID. Now imagine, yeah. and but that's what the supply chain was stuff still moving. Imagine if overnight everything stopped moving. I mean, everything from China. So and we we can't we can't handle that as a country. There's just no way we can handle it. No, no, there's absolutely no way that we can handle. It. I I don't think that people quite understand how much um we have much of our supply that comes from China. So if, if there was a war with China, even if it was just a, a flat out 100% economic cold war with China, 
uh, first and foremost, a lot of our medications would be shut down. Uh, we get l such a large percentage of our just antibiotics, for example, from China. So a lot of people would be screwed immediately. A lot of uh, insulin, a lot of just antibiotics, a lot of basic over-the-counter medication, a lot of basic supply needs over-the-counter. Uh, it would be so massively disruptive that it would crush us. But I don't, I don't want to focus on China because I have China saved um, <laughs> because uh, we have so much content to cover that well, um, I, 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 I'm going to have to put the China stuff aside. And we're going to talk about that later. But let's talk about this first article real quick. Russia is building fallout shelters to prepare for a new potential nuclear strike. This is from the Daily Beast in 2017, y'all. Mm -hmm. So let's keep that in mind because what we're about to walk through is a timeline of, um, uh, of instances that we see this repeating, but not just repeating. We're watching it escalate in real time. Managers of the Zenit Arena, this is from the Daily Beast 2017, managers of the Zenit Arena, a giant half-built stadium in St. Petersburg, received an official letter from the Ministry of Emergency Situations. Remember, this is from 2017. Demanding that they immediately create shelter facilities for wartime, the stadium under construction for upcoming World Cup 2018 is located outside the city boundaries, the letter said. But in case of a nuclear attack, it is the potential, quote, zone of war, destruction, and radiation fallout. Now we have this one from Newsweek, October 2022. Remember, that one we just talked about, 2017. This one, 2022. Russians are building bomb shelters of, amid fears about nuclear war. The demand for personal bomb shelters is growing, according to Russian news outlet 66.RU, which cited construction companies that specialize in building bunkers and homes. Russians are starting to build bomb shelters in their own homes as concerns about the potential use of nuclear weapons by Putin himself grow, according to the local media reports. Cromwell, a construction company based in the Russian city of, I'm not going to try that word, said it was a rise in requests, notably after Vladimir Putin announced a partial mo mobilization order on September 21. That's probably good there. It just continues. Now, let's get to the last one. Amid Ukraine war, Kremlin orders nationwide bomb shelter overhaul this is from the moscow times february of this year this was last month bomb shelters across you uh, across russia are undergoing systematic inspections and repairs following a kremlin order to upgrade the country's crumbling Soviet-era infrastructure, according to current and former officials who spoke to the Moscow Times. That's the first paragraph. I'm going to stop right there. So now what we're reading is just this year, last month. Now we watch this chronological, chronological progression where it was contractors and civilians and whatnot saying we need to up this stuff. Now you have the Russian government last month mandating that companies up their bomb shelter. Rob, your thoughts? Um, I think they're doing what's prudent for them. <laughs> uh, I'm a big advocate of civil defense for anybody. I think every, I think nations just like individuals have a right to self-defense. 
Um, and I think that the, the fact that we completely obliterated or neglected our civil defense system in the United States has uh, been a travesty. Um, so I think if you look at, I mean, think about it, the end of the Soviet Union, right? I mean, what happened? NATO and going back to Gorbachev and going back to how Yeltsin, um, they were worried about NATO encroaching on former Soviet satellites. That's right. And we said we wouldn't, and we did. <laughs> and so, um, and, and so when you look at it, we kind of broke a lot of written and unwritten treaties with the Soviet former Soviet Union, and we've been consistently militarizing and expanding NATO ever since, and. I mean, I'm not pro-Russian. I'm not pro-anybody. I'm, I'm pro-American. I'm pro-my community. Amen. But I can say that how it's being, you know, what how our foreign policy is twisted in the United States isn't 100% the whole picture. And I think right. if you really look at it, and I try, to, I try to read both sides of every story, but the United States and NATO have consistently been militarizing former Soviet republics, and the Soviets don't like that. It would be like if all of a sudden the Soviet Union, I mean, think about the Cuban Missile Crisis in the early 60s, right? Yep. We were pissed off that they had, you know, Soviet ICBMs posted in Haiti and we, or I'm sorry, in Cuba, and we almost went right. to World War III over that. Now, what if all of a sudden um, the Soviet Union started, or Russia, started putting military bases in Mexico, Haiti, Canada, you think we'd be a little pissed off about that? I, I'm pretty sure we would be. And so that's the crux of this. And then, you know, the crux of the Ukraine, if you understand any of the Ukrainian history prior to World War II, the, the, the Russian government went in and they, you know, they did the Ukrainian genocide. They took over the, some of the best farmland in, in Central Europe. Um, the Russians under, you know, um, Stalin went in in the 30s and 20s and 30s, and they called every, basically every middle class farmer peasant, they called them kulaks. They hmm. took them, they took over their farms. But here's the important thing that no one thinks about right now, is they basically executed or starved to death all the kulaks. And then they took the land over and turned them into these community farms run by the government. And who ran the community farms? Oh, a bunch of people from Moscow that they imported to Eastern Ukraine. And wow. so if you look at the Donbass and the, the other Eastern parts of Ukraine, they were literally colonized before World War II with ethnic Russians. And this is really important. Yep. And the primary language there is Russian, not Ukrainian. And the people really think of themselves for the most part as Russians. And so after the fall of the Soviet Union and the Ukraine kind of started uniting and there's there's a lot of bad history, the Russians treated the Ukrainians like absolute <gasps> shit. So I understand why the Ukrainians hate the Russians, right. but the people in the eastern part of Ukraine are Russian. And so if you look, go back to what happened with the annexation of Crimea and now the Donbass region, um, and what you're having is that you had Yeltsin and the pro, or not Yeltsin, but Zelensky and some of the, the civil war in the Ukraine where they were basically, they were literally torturing and killing pro-Russian Ukrainians in the eastern yep. part of the country. So Russia didn't like what NATO was doing and they wanted to protect some of those ethnic Russians and maybe expand their borders a little bit. So that's what this is about. Um, and so I think when you understand the history, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. 
But I think right. we have to understand what's happening. It's not just evil, evil Putin, bad man, take over all of Europe. That's nonsense. Um, yeah, but very much nonsense. It's, it's nonsense. And so when you understand, you know, that Zelensky is not a good guy. And, and, and he's corrupt. Ukrainian politicians are worse in some ways than Russian politicians were. And and so there's no good. I look at it like this. I look at it. I kind of liken Russia and Ukraine to like a big drug cartel fighting with a smaller drug cartel. There's no good guys there. And the problem is our governments pick the smaller drug cartel to support. And that's kind of how I see it, is that we're funding bad people to do bad things against other bad people and do that are doing bad things. And I don't want to be on any side of it, personally. I just It's just ridiculous that we're wasting our, our, our the amount of money that we're wasting on this. Um, and I think we're setting ourselves up for things that I don't think we can suffer as a country if it goes to the mat. I don't think it's going to be a good thing for us if we direct you know, go hot with Russia. Uh, and I think it's quite inevitable, to be honest with you. Um, I, I see no way around it with all the, and who knows, you know, all this stuff is, is all going to be somewhat propagandized. I wish we had some actual information, but um, we, we don't. And here's the thing that I tell people that claim to be, they act like absolutists when it comes to geopolitics. I'm like, just sit down and be humble for a second, because let me explain something to you. Even as a veteran of somebody that was a high intelligence um, security clearance, you're still lied to. You're still not given all the information, even with the high level security clearance. So nobody knows what's going on, but I will say that um, obviously a hot war with Russia, I think is on the horizon. Obviously a hot war with Russia is absolutely horrible. Uh, Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries on the planet. And that's been cited many times by multiple sources over the years. And we're just literally funneling money and weaponry to them. And if you look back at the track history of the United States, and this is what I kind of wanted to drive home here, something that you just <laughs> said, like we're, we're kind of playing both sides. That's like historically the American military industrial complex way. We will fund both sides of a war in hopes that we can have the outcome that is best suited for those figureheads, the select few that run the military industrial complex and that have the, that monetary backing in their corner that it would benefit them so much. So this isn't anything new. I think, I think what is new is the actual threat of nuclear war, because I do think that in a world war. And like I said, when we're talking about uh, China, I've got more, content on that to be presented on Sunday evening for the next live show because there's just too much content to go through in one episode tonight. It's that pressing. It's that real. And I think for whatever reason, our administration is playing games and, and pouring gas on the fire. Uh, I guess the, the, the best way I could, could explain it is that a world war is the greatest way to reset the globe and all of Earth's governments in a manner in which that would fit more likely into a global government, government right? So let's just take it home for a second. It, how many times have we seen and it's been proven that our own government will create a crisis 
crisis and crises to come in and scoop up and save you, save you, right? Well, and what they get in extension is more power. Yeah, so it's a Hegelian it's, dialectic, right? It's like but, a, you know, um, I, I think it's, I don't know if we're going to go to nukes. And, and I don't either. I, I hope we don't. I, I think, one, if Russia throws a nuke, worth everybody's throwing nukes. So, and, and really... There's no pro like if you think of war as a profit center, right? And some people do. Like nuclear war is not where the money is. Nuclear war is just keep making things that get blown up and, and that's making what armor that gets yet. blown, right? And and that's what we've been doing, right? Is we're just throwing. I mean, we're draining all our you know ammunition and artillery shells and everything else. That's where war is profitable, right? Where we just keep you know, building things that get decimated, they build things. But I mean, really Russia's, I mean, let's be honest. It's like year long war and Russia's still there. I don't think Russia's getting out of there. And I think they're going to maintain, honestly, they need to broker a peace deal, but the Russians aren't going to leave the Eastern region of Ukraine. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and NATO is throwing everything they have in them. That's basically conventional and they're not, they're taking heavy losses, but they're still there. <laughs> so in a year later, like that's a pretty big deal. And I think that says a lot about the capabilities of the United States and NATO to wage real conventional war. Um, I think in, in the worst case scenario, I don't really see nuclear war is the most likely. I would see if we're going to go hot, we're probably going to see a combination of things. I think EMP is probably the most devastating. Um, and, and I think that's the one where everybody dies, right? Everybody's dead within a year by EMP in a very horrible way, but all the infrastructure is left intact and, and really people die because they don't have any food. It means people starve to death. That, that's what yep. happens in EMP. Power goes out, no power, no insulin, no food, no transportation. And we just kill our, we just kill each other off. And then they just need to come in and mop up. Yep. And, and that's, that's what happens. And to me, that's the worst case scenario. Um, and I think it also would be more likely than a hot nuke war because really everybody blows everything up with nukes. There's not much left. Like Agreed. let's just be on, and you know, on both sides, I think that mutually mad, right. Mutually assured destruction yep. was the thing that we had beaten in our head, like in the seventies and the eighties. I don't think that's gone away. And I don't think, I don't really think the U S wants to use them any more than the Russians or the Chinese do. Um, but that's always the back. That's always the thing that I always think about when they're, and this is where I don't know if the people in Washington are literally just literally insane warmongers and they think they're going to just do a conventional war and, and take Russia down. Or if they're literally just really pushing the rhetoric, but they don't actually mean it like a paper mm -hmm. tiger. And the thing is, I don't think we have the backbone and I don't military readiness backbone right now to really go conventional um, with the Soviet Union or even China. I just don't think we have, we don't have the manpower and we don't have the weapons. We don't have the manufacturing capacity, you know, capacity to wage these kind of wars now. Um, and I think, I just don't think that's realistic that the people in Washington think it's realistic. I, I want to believe that they're just talking shit and they're right. just trying to drain the military industrial complex and then they'll just, you know, back off in, you know, a couple months and then there'll be a negotiated ceasefire or something with the stuff going on in Ukraine. But I can tell you what does have me concerned, maybe 5%, right? I'm 5% worried that it's going to go to nukes. But 
I never had 5% in my brain worried about it before as an adult, I always thought it was like never going to happen. Right. But the rhetoric that we're seeing from our politicians and president are absolutely batshit insane. And literally like we're, we're pushing them. We're pushing them to want to fight the fact that we're sending drones without transponders and stuff right to their borders or near them. And the fact that they literally pushed down one of our drones the other day, that's like, I mean, that could be taken one way or the other as an act of aggression. And I mean, that's, I mean, if it was a pilot in that aircraft that the Russians dropped, you know, I think we, that would be an absolute thing that would start a war. And so I, we've never been here in my lifetime. I'm in my early fifties and we've never been here before. So to me, I want to be optimistic and think there's just stupid politicians doing what stupid politicians do and they're corrupt and and whatever else. But I can tell you the rhetoric has never been this bad in my entire life. And I mean, we're having, we're, we're starting to have little snipes now. I mean, yeah, they took down one of our expensive drones, but what are they going to do next time? Is it going to be an aircraft? Like, you know, a manned airplane. And what do we do in that scenario? And that's my concern is that we've never, we just never, this is new territory, at least for me, as far as rhetoric goes, it's, it's never happened. I actually completely agree with everything you said, especially, and here's the thing. Here's one of the things that I've been kind of talking about very mm, slightly right but not in great detail because i don't cover this kind of content all the time right or definitely not in this great depth um wholly agree with the no nukes no nukes part i think uh, what i what i tell people all the time is that when you're using nukes you're going to destroy all the resources in the area and war is never an attempt at destroying resources it's always an attempt at uh, gaining and and receiving resources, stealing, really, gaining and stealing resources. And so I don't think nukes are quite on the table. I think tactical nukes in Ukraine might be the issue, but I will 100% agree on two things. And one you didn't mention. One EMT, massively deadly. Or or I'll say three things, actually. One EMT, massively deadly. Two, uh, hacks like we just talked about at the beginning of this program in Russia, uh, they could hack our electrical grid, our infrastructure, just as easily, if not better, than we could hack theirs. And three, uh, it, it might might be the most damaging is bio weapons, biological weapons that could be used easily in New- in Ukraine or even by Ukraine, because to from what we've learned, to my knowledge, there are bio weapons labs in. That country, it's been denied, but it's also been proven. So it's like, which propagandist do you take? So I want to, uh, I want to leave you with uh, one last question, and then, um, and then we'll get you out of here. What are the chances of this thing turning detrimentally south before Biden leaves? If he, it, unless uh, this is assuming that he doesn't take the white house again in 2024 because to me it 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 definitely seems as if this administration wants this war with russia or even maybe china i don't know but let's just say that biden only has until 2024 
the chance I, I don't know how to put a, a number on it like I don't know what the statistical probability is it going to be I don't know just I just opinion. don't have um, I would say if the Ukrainian war doesn't come to some negotiated peace deal by midsummer likely something's going to happen big and, and and that's all I have to say I, I just because that that this needs to stop I mean this is insane you, you got and yeah. I'm not saying what Russia did is correct. I understand. I'm just right. saying is I understand why they did it. Not that I agree with it. Right. But I understand why they did it. Um, but I'm very concerned. I mean, I'm just looking at the economic fallout. We're still dealing. Gas is going back up again. Stuff's getting more expensive. The average American's getting hosed. Or I mean, there's so many other yep. factors that this this will hurt. It's hurting everybody that they're doing this, right? This is just literally NATO sticking its nose in. Um, and for a non-NATO country, understand that Ukraine is not a NATO nation in the first no, place. No, it is not. And, and so, but I think we're also talking about, you know, the, um, not Lithuania, but it was in Norway and uh, Finland are now trying to get fast-tracked into NATO and Russia said no way in hell. And so these are those kind of things that where does this stop? And when do people stop being assholes? Like, I don't see a benefit as a, as a NATO member to having and to keep growing NATO doesn't make any sense to me. I think the whole purpose of NATO is largely gone. And yes. for the most part, I don't have a lot in common with most Europeans these days anyways, politically. Right. Um, and, and I'm not sure it's in the best interest of the United States to, you know, keep maintaining those bases over there. I'm going to sound very, you know, routine and... Uh, to most libertarians. Um, but I wanted to address, there was a comment by lunatic libertarian in there about the manufacturing capacity is there, just not operational. I, don't, I will disagree with that politely. And and why I'm saying that is I, I'm from Detroit originally. And I remember in the 80s when we started offshoring all the manufacturing out of the Detroit area. And the one thing that was really that I remember very carefully, I used to work in the auto industry, by the way, a lot of family members worked in the auto industry. So I, I remember this very clearly, is that when they shut down a lot of plants, not only did they shut down the plant, but they shipped the actual machines with the plant overseas. They literally mm. shipped out the plants. And then what they did is the old time machinists and people that knew how to operate the machines. So they laid everybody else off. And then they took the senior guys that were about to retire and then gave them an extra six or 12 months to go abroad and teach their replacements how to operate the machinery. So they literally <laughs> did, they literally did ship the machinery out of the country in many cases. And, and so that's why you go to like in Detroit, there's a lot of old, you know, car factories. There's no machinery in those factories. They're abandoned. They're empty. They're like giant, just giant warehouses in many, you know, many cases. So, that is my concern. Now, there's lots of right. you know lots of stuff in people's garages and stuff, but um, you know here and there. But we do not have anywhere near the capacity that we used to have even 20, 30 years ago in the United States. And, and so there's like I think one manufacturer that makes labes and mills called Haas. I think they're. Oh no! Oh, we might have lost Rob. Oh man, he's in it. Oh, we definitely lost Rob. He's right in the middle of something. So I'm I'm a kick him out for a second i'll i'll check the audience down there to see if he comes back he is completely frozen up uh <clears throat> excuse me uh, i'll 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 agree to it to some degree and uh there was a uh okay this is the response th this is another and lunatic libertarian please go follow him youtube spotify um all of that 
This is all a distraction until a new currency system from central banks are installed. That is also an absolutely fantastic point. Although I don't think this is all designed to be a distraction. I think they're using this distraction to push through the CBDC, which will be the absolute end of freedom. Mark my words, and you don't have to hear it from me. This is 100% a fact. If the money ain't free, then the people ain't free. All right, looks like, looks like we got Rob back, so we'll let him finish his closing statements, and then uh, we're going to get up out of here because we're closing in on 50 minutes. Oh, right. sorry Rob, about that. I don't back. know what happened. No, um, good, so yeah, man. so 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 the manufacturing is not really here. Like, and and it's gonna. I think it will take us a decade to reindustrialize once there's a will to do so, and there's not right now. There's no will to reindustrialize the United States. Um, so I I think that's the problem. I think if we're gonna start engaging uh, in wars with comparable enemies, we need to be have be able to have our own supply chains for all those war materials. Um, and we don't have that. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, China is the long term. We'll get talk China about another time, but China is, is a long-term threat to the United States. I don't think Russia is the, the threat China is. Um, and they're building their blue water Navy up right now. Uh, and for us to start arguing and sable ratting with China, is even to me actually more repugnant and more dangerous than saber adding with Russia. I think China is yeah. a much larger threat currently and long term. Um, I think I think the saber rattling is absolutely one hundred percent detrimental on both ends. But the um, it's kind of funny. It's not funny at all. But when we first started this interventionism, and that's what this is. I'm not talking to you. Rob, obviously, I'm talking to the to the sure. audience, to the people that would disagree. We are intervening. This is government, U.S. military, industrial complex interventionism. We're supplying them with weapons, money, intel, soldiers to train their soldiers. We have people in Ukraine doing that. That's what this is, U.S. government interventionism in a place that we have no business being in. However, when this first started, Russia's GDP and their economic growth was barreling through the the floor and then we decided to get involved and other countries decided that they were going to align with russia now the ruble which was plummeting that's the russian currency by the way um for those that don't know most of you probably know this stuff more than i do but um now it's through the roof people are buying up the ruble and they've made alliances with people like china and iran and turkey and india and china their economy their gdp is absolutely plummeting it is going through the bottom of the floor so neither country nor ours actually has the economic stability to go to war with any of each mm. of these others but that's not what it's about because we can see and again we're going to get into china later china is still expanding their influence throughout the globe globe despite their inability and they're absolute look china's birth rate is bottomed out it's through the through the floor it's no more they are absolutely on the brink of destruction the ccp has obviously they're communists ruined that country so not any of the three countries that we're mentioning us russia or china actually has the economic stability to go to war with any of the others but yet it looks like each of these countries are going to do it anyway, despite not having the weaponry or the economic stability to do so. Rob, your last thoughts and uh, tell us how we can support you. 
Sure. Uh, and I do really appreciate uh, having me on today. Uh, I'd love to do it yeah, again if you want. Um, I, I think ultimately, if you look at the three, which one of the three of those three, which ones have the most ability to make things they need and which ones right. have the ability to conscript people easier? And, and that changes that conversation a lot. So you got the few, you got manufacturing, not a lot of manufacturing, but you got a lot of mining and you got a ton of resources uh, for fuel, you know, hydrocarbons, things like that in Russia. And, and you look at, you know, China, they can make absolutely anything. They can backwards engineer anything and they have the raw materials. Um, and China's the powerhouse there. And so you can't dismiss that. Um, and I'm not right. saying they're great. I'm just saying is if you go and look um what all the country is i find this is an interesting exercise if you go look at the size the standing size of militaries around the world you know trained and reserve troops and this is all you know you can look this up online the united states is a very small standing army and a pretty small reserve army it's like two million all there's much smaller countries than the united states that have much bigger militaries the big difference is the united states is better trained soldiers and we have a huge technological advantage. Absolutely. The thing is, is that if that technological advantage can be squashed, you know, and let's just talk technology, right? If that technological advantage can be squashed, the problem is technology is a two-edged sword, right? Um, it can be a really great force multiplier. At the same time, it can be something that uh, becomes an Achilles heel once you become dependent on it. And so... Um, you look at the old MiGs, right? The old MiG jets. Um, one of the ways, and you look at the AK, you look at how Russians built things, right? They built things to be robust. MiGs were designed to be able to land on unimproved runways. You can't run, you can't land an, an F-16 or an F-35 in an unimproved runway. But they designed MiGs to do that thing. Um, you look at the AKs, you know, are more designed to be, you know, built and cleaned simply and work in austere environments. Um, so there's a lot of differences in philosophy between some of these countries, the United States, Russia, Absolutely. and China. And so I am definitely, I don't, I'm not arrogant like a lot of people in Washington, D.C. Appear, appear to be. I have a lot of friends that are trust that are very smart soldiers that are vets that have been in combat multiple times. And the smartest people I know that aren't arrogant do not discount what is what the power abilities and capabilities militarily of Russia and and China and and so to me it's like I always think there there's a concern there and to me is more of a peaceful libertarian type of person you know uh, I don't want there to be a war right that's just not right. good for business it's not good for my kids and and everything else so um, I, I think ultimately it's a good topic and I think we should at least think about it so maybe we can have yeah. more conversations out there to like say hey the guys this is getting stupid we should not tolerate politicians going off the cuff making crazy comments like Lindsey Graham okay. saying just blow up Russia's jets I'm like oh right. F you dude you know and and Biden who's not of sound mind and I don't know who's really making the decisions it's not Biden hmm. And, and so we have apparently an unelected group of people making those kind of decisions in Washington, D.C. at the top levels. Um, so I am concerned now because of where we're going. And, and it's mentioned in the, in the chat here that economics definitely um, plays a big part in war, right? When companies, you know, when countries' currencies fail, there's often wars. Um, and I think, you know, if the U.S. dollar literally, we're getting to the point where the dollar is going to fail anyway. It's just going to. Whether that's be, that if, if CBDC comes in or not, 
the dollar is going to be it'll be replaced by something because this the dollar is becoming completely unsustainable so yeah. something's going to happen but that being said, uh, I know we're running out of time, but uh, I'm just Rob McNeely. You can follow me on Twitter. Um, I'll, I'll shill crypto some other time, but if uh, I'm co-founder in the Tusk uh, cryptocurrency, we're, we're a five-year-old non-ICO, literally decentralized, you know, open source project. We never sold tokens or coins, never did a rug pull. Um, run by volunteers that just believe in creating something. We initially started uh, Tusk to be, you know, helpful to, you know, gun stores and other marginalized nice. industries that were, you know, operation choke point out of using normal financial services. But um, I love talking geopolitics. So, you know, to yeah. me, this is actually more, honestly, this is more important to me is to get people saying, we need to focus on leaders that at least want to consider peace and figuring out ways to negotiate peace deals. Um, and I think we should reindustrialize the United States uh, long-term, mm -hmm. but it's going to take 10 years to do it. Um, and minimum. If we stood, minimum. And, and, and I'm not happy about that. I was fortunate when I was like 16, the grandma in Detroit, I literally was working in a starter and alternator re rebuilding factory after school when I was 16. You couldn't get a kid to do that today. Probably an OSHA violation right. too. But but I would, grew up like literally working with my hands in a factory and, and, and all that stuff's gone now. That stuff doesn't exist too much anymore. There's not a lot yeah. of mom and pop shops anymore, even in around the Detroit area that would just make parts and, and do things. And, and I think the problem is like, because I'm, I'm in my early 50s, so when I was growing up in the 80s, the old timers when I were a kid were like like World War II vets, right? So these guys were the guys that went from being manual machinists to CNC operators and things like that. They had all that knowledge, and they saw this technological advancement, and then they just retired. Many of them are gone now. They just died. They, and, and that knowledge never got transferred, and that's the problem. We that, don't – I mean, we have very few super talented – machinist compared to what we had you know 30 40 years ago in this country and that's the sad thing that that, that is a, another discussion for another day because this is something that i personally i didn't hear from anybody else i didn't learn from anybody else it was something that i did with my own research and study about the negative impacts what was the most negative impact of the industrial revolution and let's put machinist aside and let's just talk about generational knowledge it was 100% the most negative impact that the Industrial Revolution had upon this country was that we did not have multi-generational households post that. It didn't take long for that to end. It was, you're 18, go to college, go get a job, and go keep with the Joneses. That is a massive deal for me, so I love the fact that you referenced that, but uh, that, that's not a rabbit hole we can, we can run right now, but it's so freaking massively important on how much knowledge, generational knowledge was lost in just the last four generations at best. You can really narrow it down to the last three generations from grandparent to child to, you know, parent to child to grandchild, et cetera, and so forth and so on. That is a massive ordeal. That's something that I think we need to get back to. And we may forced to get back to we may be forced to get back to so anyway um yeah that that's excellent rob thank you very much man thank you for joining the show sure. um i don't know anything about crypto that's why i didn't talk about it. oh well that's <laughs> well, well let's talk another time um, yeah, yeah i you know I, I i always claim i don't know anything either i'm the stupidest guy in the room so i like to be around smarter people than me Same. um but but i think 
Um, it's a true story though. I get another second. Uh, it's really funny. Like, um, so I remember growing up and all my teachers were like these hippies, right? The younger teachers were all, when I was in high school, were all like these hippies, right? And they all take, hey, you got to go to go into debt and go to college and get a good job and working with your hands is trash and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that rhetoric was very common when I was growing up. And that's, and I think there's a whole conspiracy hmm. about, you know, pushing people into student loans because they're the safest loans for banks, right? And so you have like this whole basically educational industrial complex, right? To get people into these, you yep. know, permanent debt, you know, you know, permanent slave debt, education debt, slavery. And that's why I, I think that we should have a conversation about student loans and the government culpability um, to the student loan crisis that we have in this country. And and I got some ideas on how it could be fixed um, in a way mm -hmm. that I think both sides would actually support. But but what came out of that is that they started pushing kids into only into college degrees is the only way you could be successful. And so it's really funny because like I, I, I do have a master's degree. I got stuck in that zone and I wanted to be better than my family. Yeah, and it was by design. And, but a couple of years ago, so I have an MBA, but a couple of years ago, I went to welding school for shits and giggles at a local community college. And I'm a full certified welder now. So I went to a year and a half program because nice. I just wanted to learn a skill. I don't want to, I don't do it for a living, never done it for, you know, living. I have made things for people, but I do it for art and I do it for making stuff. And I just like to build stuff, but I didn't grow up learning that stuff. And so as an adult, I've had to kind of te get taught myself. And so I understand where it's like as an adult, you're starting with like you don't might have not have certain hand, you know, hands on kind of skills. But there are resources out there, but you got to get more people to say, hey, you know, I want to learn that skill because I didn't have an opportunity. Like even when I was a kid, they, you know, when that, they got rid of auto shop and they got rid of metal shop and wood shop and in high schools. I, I don't know how it is where you are, but a lot of that stuff just got wiped away. Um, and I think that's the problem is that we don't even get let kids explore those things. Um, and, and now you look around and plumbers and electricians that actually know what they're doing, like make really great money now because there's so few people that know how to fix anything or actually do anything with their hands. So I think there will be a pendulum swing. I wish there was a national effort to make, you know, being, a, you know, a tradesman, like a real craft that we respect, like a full blown, you know, four or five year apprenticeship, not through a union, but I mean, where right. we actually respect crafts and tradespeople instead of trying to treat them like garbage, like we do in this country. Um, and then, you know, professionalize those trades. So people say, hey, you know, you can be a doctor or a lawyer, but you could, you know, but there's also great respect being, you know, an EMT or, you know, going through and, and being a plumber or an electrician and, and say, hey, these are respectable professions. And, and, but we don't have that. Now in Europe, they do, which is interesting. I, um, in like Switzerland and Germany, if you're like a you know, if you're like a welder or a blacksmith, or you go through, they go through like a very lengthy um, apprenticeship program. By the time they come out in like four or five years, they're like amazing artists. They're extremely skilled, and they're really respected um, in those countries. And I think we we should, I think we should recreate that. I think that's a cultural thing. Um, it is a but cultural it, thing. But it was all these teachers that I think were bribed by banks to like push kids into student loans because they were too snobby to, oh, I don't want to work my hands. I'm academic. And, and, and I'm someone, my wife has an advanced degree. She's a doctor. I have a master's degree. And, and, but my wife and I, we have very different opinions about education and how, and we've educated our kids very differently um, because of that, because we, we both agree that the education system sucks. And um, we've, 
we also believe that student loan debt is a trap. And so I think that we could get back to reindustrialize the United States. And then, hey, maybe we're the big guy. Here's the thing, though. If we're a really amazing industrialized nation that's not in debt out, it's yin-yang and our – and and we have a high standard of living and, you know, we have very, we don't have starving people and we have healthy people. And, um, you know, we don't have to fight with other countries. We have everything we need in this country. Absolutely everything we need. We have every climate. We have every mineral that we could ever possibly want. We have the ability right. to grow as much food as we need and plus have surpluses. We have enough mineral resources to mine whatever we need to make anything. We don't need to eat. We don't even need to talk to any other country in the world if we didn't want to. No, um, no, we could absolutely it, be isolationists for sure. So, Rob, thank so, you uh, so much for joining the show, man. I am up against a hard break here. Sure. So, uh, you can follow Rob at Rob McNeely, and you are also the founder of TUSC.network. If you go to Rob's Twitter, then you will find that right there in your bio. Is there anything that you want to shout out, Rob? No, that's good, man. I appreciate the time. And uh, if you ever have me want to talk about something, I got lots of opinions. No, no, man. It was awesome. Great. Thank you for the freaking historical knowledge and and all the input. It was absolutely fantastic. Talk to you real soon, man. Thank you very much for joining the show. Thanks, Nolan. You have a great day. Yes, sir. You too. Absolutely fantastic. What a wealth of knowledge right there coming in. Just absolutely fantastic. So, um, let me kind of redirect back towards the kind of the theme of the show here where it was kind of World War III based because the reason I want to do that is because on Sunday night show at 6 p.m. Central again, um, we're going to kind of dive off into the same thing, except we're going to go in a little different direction here. And uh, I want to give you a couple of the headlines that are going to come up, but I also understand that I'm not going to spend a whole lot more time on this. I just think it's wildly important. And so I'll probably open up the show on Sunday with just a couple of issues in regards to uh, in regards to this kind of content. U.S. says Russian warplane hits American drone over Black Sea. China accuses U.S. and its allies of taking a, quote, dangerous road as submarine packed fuels near proliferation fears. March 14th, both of those. And then um, China, Russia, Iran hold joint military drills in Gulf of Omen, Timcast, and that was today. That was today. These countries, this is getting, this is escalating out of hand. And we are making things worse. We're making them worse. Every second of every day, we are, in. it's of my opinion, that we are intentionally making them worse. And it blows my mind that we continue to go down this path, although it doesn't, because it really feels like it's by design. What a great guest. Please go follow uh, Rob McNeil on Twitter. And then if you like crypto stuff, look, I am 100% ignorant on crypto stuff. Not my forte. I've got a lot of other things in the bank that I'm very well versed in, very well educated in. Crypto, absolutely zero knowledge. 100%. All I can tell you about crypto is that it's blockchain and somewhat probably maybe encrypted, which I don't trust whatsoever. Uh, but hey, maybe it's good. Maybe it's great. A lot of people investing in it would love for it to be great. However, Rob is somebody that you would love to talk about when it comes to cryptocurrency and when it comes to um, TUSC and photography, actually. He's a, a photographer. Like I said, he's got almost 400,000 followers on Twitter. Great, uh, great Great guest tonight. 
So um, don't forget to tune in every Monday through Friday at 12 Central for the the lunch show, Liberty Lunch Break, the topic du jour. It's between 10 to 10 minutes, two to 10 minutes long. It's, it's, it airs every Monday through Friday. Uh, I kind of got away with, away from it for a second, but all of a sudden it just started booming. And so I'm picking it back up every day this week has a show. Tomorrow's already recorded. Friday's already recorded. Fun stuff. Very much fun stuff. And then Wednesdays and Sundays. Let me explain something real quick. Um, I'm going to be have to, over the next 90 days, I'm going to have to shift the show because I'm going to be doing the the music at my church again here in a, in a few months. And so I need to be there on Wednesdays and Sundays at six. So <clears throat> we're going to have to move the show. So just a forewarning. Other than that, um, make sure you like the show, share it, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Facebook at the Cajun Libertarian, Twitter at Cajun Libert One, Google Podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of that stuff. Please help me out. These are all free for you, and you help me out by doing that stuff and continuing to do the show because it's absolutely – I cannot – I wish I could, like – I probably could show you on screen. Like, the numbers are ridiculous. And so we're just going to continue to keep going and moving forward. That being said, Sunday's show is going to be, like, one-third of what we just talked about, those headlines that I just gave you. China's making moves. Russia's making moves, Iran's making moves, and they're all making individual moves while they're all doing it together while we have a dead weekend at Bernie's corpse controlling the, the Oval Office. So what, what I was really wanting to get to with Rob, too, and, and we got you know kind of all over the place there, but I really wanted to ask, like, what are we going to do? Because this seems like it's going to happen within the next... Whatever is going to happen... Has to ha- it has to happen before 2024 because the regime can't risk an outsider taking the presidency in 2024. And by all accounts, it does seem like they view Trump as an outsider. To me, it sounds like he seems like controlled opposition. But every day, every day that goes by, man, I don't freaking know. I have no idea. Everything seems like a distraction. What I can tell you is that it's going to go down, whatever the timeline. So be prepared, get you some food, dry food, canned food, stuff that you can preserve. Be a prepper. Stop letting these media outlets that hate your guts dictate to you how you're supposed to prepare your future. Get dry food, get canned food, get a water filtration system. All those three things I have, lots of them. Get ammo, keep your brass, get immune, uh, get intangible I'm sorry, uh, get, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, intrinsic, things of intrinsic value. Sorry about that. Lost my train of thought there. Get items of intrinsic value so that you can be prepared and that you'll have something to trade. Because you don't know. I don't know. We don't know. And it's getting nastier by the second. So, again, like, share, subscribe. I love each and every one of you. I will see you every Monday through Friday at noon central. And I will see you every Wednesday and Sunday until that changes to Monday and probably Thursday at 6 central. So until next time, we'll leave it there. Until next time, same Cajun time, same Cajun channel. Galatians 220. And I'm out.